have your Bibles, turn them open. This is one of the last times your Bible is going to automatically open to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's read what it says here. Let's read verses 16 and 17. It says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now let's remember something as we begin today. We've been asking ourselves a question through all these weeks talking about the armor of God. Saying, how does this that we're going to read about, how does this weapon allow us to win or to stand firm? Because that's what Paul says this is all about. How do we stand firm against the attacks and the assaults that the devil throws at us, which primarily come to us, we've learned, as lies and slanderous thoughts that are directed towards ourselves, saying, I'm no good, or maybe even I'm superior, those voices in your head, or those thoughts and ideas and slanderous ideas that are directed towards other people, which what we've learned over these weeks have the intention of creating disunity and hate within ourselves or within a body of Christ or even with, between nations. That that's the enemy's plan when he's, when he's attacking us in this way. Because that plan is the very opposite of what God desires for his church, for his children, which is love and unity. What we've learned through the whole book of Ephesians is that's really the central theme through the whole book. How can God create love and unity? How does he bring transformation into our lives and create this? And how does the devil, um, at the end saying here, the devil wants to ruin that. But guess what? God's given us all we need to have so that we can stand firm against his lies, stand firm against his assaults, and we can see accomplished in us and in our families and in our church and in our communities and in our nation. And for his plan is for the whole world under Christ, would be a place of love and unity. So here, as we come to this, this one today, Paul here is saying that in addition to all the other things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, we also have a spiritual weapon that has qualities, he says, like a sword. Remember, he's comparing them all to, to Roman weaponry and armor. So let's think about that. The sword of the Spirit. Let's, let's think about what he could be talking about. Now, unlike the other pieces of armor that Paul has mentioned, this one is different. Now, some people say it's different because they say it's offensive, not defensive. I completely disagree. I think it's intended in this setting to be defensive, and it could also be offensive. But that's not why it's different. It's different for a different reason. It's different because the Apostle Paul defines exactly what this weapon is for us. The other weapons, he doesn't do that. For the other weapons, he simply says what they are, and he leaves us to define them. For example, he says, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Or he says, take up the shield of faith. And we are left to figure out what that means. What's the gospel of peace mean? How does it apply? What's the shield of faith mean? How does it apply? But in this one, it's different. Look at it. Look at what it says here. It says, and, he earlier says, take up these different things. And now he says, and so take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The weapon is the sword of the Spirit, and Paul describes it or defines it. He says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, Paul's got a reason for this. Paul wants to be crystal clear here that he is highlighting the importance and the function of the Word of God in the battle that we find ourselves in. He's going to say, listen, if you're going to win this fight, the Word of God is absolutely 
So let's break this thing down and see how it works, because here's my real belief. I believe a lot of us don't believe this. I say we think we do believe it, but our actions say we don't. And if we really examine our belief systems and the narratives we believe, a lot of times our belief systems and our narratives that we believe are, are in competition with or contrary to the very Word of God. And so we live by systems that are different, even though we come to church every week. And, and I would say this, this is the thing I've seen in people's lives that either help them to make it as a believer or not make it as a believer, is their view of the Word of God. And we're going we're gonna to think about that and talk about that today. So let's break this down and see how this works in the context of not learning more. That's not our context here. Remember, we've got to bring it in the context. This is the context of you winning the war that, the, that you are engaged in. You can think you're not, but you are engaged in a real war. The enemy, the devil, is trying to deceive you and lie to you and lead you on a path that leads to less than God's best for you. And you're in a war where you're being attacked. And this is God saying, here's a way that you can win the war that's, that's raging Against you, So let's break it down and see how it works for your benefit and for my benefit. So, so we live the lives that God wants us to live, lives of victory and overcoming and blessing and, and production for him. So let's, let's think about this. Let's first of all notice this. Notice what it says about it. It says, it is the sword of the what? The Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. In other words, and get this, you maybe never thought of this before, it is part of of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our warfare. It's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our warfare. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. Have you ever thought of that before? Have you ever thought of this? The Holy Spirit is active with you and in you while you are engaged in the battle that you face every day with the enemy. The enemy lies to you. He tries to deceive you. And sometimes you might feel like you're all alone in this thing, but you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is engaged in the battle with you. And friends, get this. He always has been. I want you to think about something this morning. Do you know why you ever realized your own personal need for Jesus in the first place? There was a time when you recognized, I need Jesus. Do you ever wonder why that is? Or why even now, if you do know Jesus, why you feel compelled to grow and to change and to become more like Jesus? Why on Wednesday, when people were doing all kinds of things, Wednesday night, why were our classrooms literally filled to capacity, filled to capacity, could not put people, more people in many of our classrooms in our spiritual transformation classes, which kicked off last Wednesday night? Why is that? How come? It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in warfare. Let me explain what I mean. You heard the truth that Jesus loves you at one point, and He wants to forgive you. And only because the Spirit of God Himself broke through the lies that the devil had been telling you your whole life, He's rewriting the narratives that you believe, only because of the Holy Spirit's activity could we ever even understand the gospel message that's been preached to us. Friends, that's warfare. And now you continue to desire to grow and to mature. Why? Why don't you just stay stuck? Why do you even, why, how come you're in a wrestling match where you're fighting it? You know what you should do, but you don't do it? 
Why is that? It's only because the Holy Spirit is within you, breaking through the lies of the devil that leads you, or trying to lead you, in wrong directions. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in warfare for you. Friends, that's what the Apostle John was writing about in his Gospel of John. Take your Bible and open up to the, to the Gospel of John. To the 16th chapter. Listen what it says here about the Holy Spirit. We'll read verses 5 through 8. It says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And this is Jesus talking, right? You've got a red letter Bible there. It's words written in red, Jesus talking. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, that he's leaving, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the Helper will not come to you. Another word for the Helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Look at verse 8. So you can say, and when he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Look at this here. Look at the warfare ministry of the Holy Spirit. What's it say he does to the world? He brings what? He brings, no, it says he brings something here. Conviction. The Holy Spirit, the comforter brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He is the agent that brings or lead, brings conviction and leads people to change in their lives. That's what conviction does. You know you're doing wrong. How do you know you're doing wrong? Something says you're doing wrong. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. He comes and he brings conviction to the world. Now, here's an important question about this. How does the Holy Spirit primarily do this ministry? And here's where you're going to see what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. He primarily does it through what? Through the Word of God. Think about it. Think about your own life. What led you to realize your need of Jesus and what continues to lead you to, con- to, the, to continue on the path toward maturity in likeness? It's God's Word. Maybe it was presented by a friend or you read the Bible yourself, or it was from a sermon, or maybe you watched something on TV, a movie about the Bible, or a preacher on TV, and you were confronted by the literal Word of God, and the Holy Spirit through that brings conviction, and then we have a choice to make. We choose how will we respond to conviction. Will we run towards the source of conviction, or will we run away from the source of conviction, which is the Holy Spirit, God Himself? So the primary tool the Holy Spirit uses in warfare for our soul and for our continued growth is the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's what convicts us and what sets us free from the devil's lies and schemes. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Think about this. After all, who is the ultimate author of the Scriptures? Who's the author of Scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
All scripture says is God breathed. Another way you could jump your translation will say that it means it is breathed or given, inspired by the spirit of God. The word for spirit and the word for breath are the same word. So all spirit is literally breathed out by or all scripture is breathed out by the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the author of the word of God. He inspired people to write it. He's the author of the word of God. And he uses the word in warfare um, for our soul, for salvation, and for our sanctification, for our continued growth. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews could say this about God's word. It says this in the book of Hebrews. It says, for the word of God, get this, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Interesting, using the word of God in a sword illustration. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Friends, the Bible isn't just some book. It's not, we're not coming here and just discussing Shakespeare. When we're in church, the Bible isn't just some book. It's the inspired and empowered word of God. And it says here it's powerful. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews describes it as it is living and it is active. And it says it will literally cut into your very soul and reveal your thoughts and your intents. Guess what? I can't do that for you. I can't pierce into your soul no matter how good I may think I am and trying to convince somebody. I can't pierce into your soul. But the, the word of God, because it's inspired by the spirit of God, can, is living and active and can literally come and, and reveal to you your thoughts and your intentions in the depths of your heart. Why? So that you can be set free from the lies of the enemy, which is the warfare, and live free in truth. Friends, that's the warfare activity of the Holy Spirit. And let me show you, as you say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure I'm really tracking or believing you today. Let me show you an example of how this works in Scripture. Grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 2. And as, I, as you turn there, let me give you a little background of what we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, um, you're maybe familiar with, is written about the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit um, came in and fell upon the church and commissioned the church to go out and spread the gospel. Jesus had been crucified on a cross just before this. He had risen from the dead, and he had told his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. He said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in a different way. While they were waiting, and they were praying in the upper room, it says this in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and fills them, and they were and they were tongues of fire set on them. They began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance, and they went out into the streets, and they began to proclaim in these various languages, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. And then something happens. People think they're drunk, and Peter stands up. Peter begins to preach, and Acts 2 then gives us the longest sermon ever recorded in the Scriptures, other than the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon ever recorded in the scriptures. And what's he do? He simply proclaims um, what was happening was a fulfillment of scriptural prophecy. He begins to say, um, Joel said this, and this is what's happening. David said this in the Psalms, this was happening. He takes the word of God and he begins to explain how the Old Testament is being fulfilled now in, by what God is doing at that time in that place. He begins to quote the scriptures and begins to explain what they mean in that context. Now, with that background, let's start to read near the end of, of Peter's sermon, okay? So Acts chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 
32, and we'll read down to verse 38. So Peter's preaching, middle of the sermon. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having exalted to the right hand of God, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Sounds like a sword to me. They were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look what's happening in this, in this event. Peter, what's he do? Peter doesn't stand there and say, All you people are rotten, dirty sinners. I know what you did, and you need to accept God. He never says that one time. He's preaching, telling about what the Old Testament prophesied, saying that Jesus was the fulfillment of it. He's preaching it and said, as a result, Jesus was crucified. You guys were engaged in that crucifixion. He preaches the word of God, explaining what God was doing. And the result is what happens in verse 37, the very last phrase. What shall we do? What's happening here? What caused them to be pierced to the heart and asked, what shall we do? In other words, they're saying, Peter, what can we do to get right with God? We know we're not right with God. What can we do to get right with God? How do we follow God? How did that happen? How did that event happen? It's the warfare ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. It's how the Holy Spirit works. It's the Holy Spirit through the Word that pierces people to the heart and leads to repentance and leads to transformation. It's the Word of God. Church, I hope that we're really understanding this and getting this today. Because this speaks to the importance of the spoken Word of God. It speaks to the importance of the preached Word of God. It speaks to the importance of the written Word of God. This is why when you bring a friend or a family member to Portview with you, there's a really good chance that something's going to happen in their life spiritually and they're going to maybe come to know God. And if they already know God, they're going to grow in Jesus. Why? Because we proclaim the Word of God. People say, I can't believe you spent 50 weeks in the book of Ephesians over a three-year period of time. You know why? Because we don't have to get cute. We don't have to invent things. We don't have to have cutesy little things that tie into the world and three ways to feel good based on somebody's latest book. We have something more powerful. We have the Word of God. So we proclaim the Word of God, but then we do something else. We give room for the Holy Spirit to do His ministry through it. That's what this is dealing with. That's what sets people free. That's what inspires us to advance spiritually. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and that is the warfare ministry of the Spirit. Friends, church is not about some slick show. There's nothing wrong with nice music and doing things well. 
But you know what? If you think church is about the quality of the worship team or the niceness of the building or whether or not the smoke machines are pouring out smoke and there's laser light shows, because here's the deal. People do that all the time and masses flock to it. Put a Grammy Award winning singer up there, let them entertain you, and we'll pack an auditorium. But just preach a simple word of God. People go, I don't know about that. Friends, let me tell you, it's all about that. It's all about this. It's what it's about. It's not about some slick show. It's about the warfare ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, setting people free from lies and strongholds and inspiring us to do great things in our life and do great things with God through us in our lives. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit authored the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit empowers the Word of God to accomplish God's good and wonderful plan to us. The Word of God is vital. So if what somebody, if you think a sermon is somebody takes you know, one little word and then tells a whole story about something else, that might be something, it might be entertainment, but it's not biblical preaching that will bring transformation. It's about the Word of God. Now this ought to say something, this understanding ought to say something to us. It's this. To win the battle that we find ourselves in. And again, you can close your heart to it. You can tell me it's not real. But I'm telling you, when you lay awake at night and you can't sleep because you know there's turmoil going on and you're feeling bad or there's trouble in your marriage or whatever's happening, that is the warfare ministry of, 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 the, of the devil. He's trying to destroy you. And to win that battle we find ourselves in, we need, as he said here, to pick up the sword of the Spirit. To pick up the Word of God and use it in our defense. Because that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. He's talking about defending ourselves against the onslaught of the devil. We need to pick it up. In other words, if we don't want to be duped by the devil, because that's what he's a master at. The devil is smarter than you and I are. He's not God. He's created, but he's way smarter and been around way longer And he is capable of duping us. And if you don't want to be duped by the devil, you don't want to lose out on God's best for you, then we better be people who read and listen to and study God's word. Because it's not just something nice or good. It literally is our weapon of defense against being duped and misled in life. Understanding what God says. Friends, I'll tell you this, and this is, I say this with, with incredible sadness. I can't count the number of times that in over 26 years now being a pastor that I have watched people sabotage their success in life because they lived by two things. Well, pastor, this is what I believe, or pastor, this is what I feel. Oh, I feel this way, Pastor, therefore I'm going to do it. Oh, it just feels good. I just feel like I should get back with him. Or I just feel like I should be engaged in that. Or, well, you know what, that's fine for you to believe, Pastor, but I believe something different. I believe I can do this or I should do that. And they say this, and they live by that, instead of saying, what does God say about the circumstance? I have not seen any other single thing destroy people more and lead people to more pain and and more destruction in their life than saying, well, I believe or I feel, instead of asking, what does God have to say about it? Friends, often the origination of what a person believes or feels is the lying voice of the enemy 
that often came through hurt in your childhood and misteaching through life and through media and through family. And so what you feel and what you believe oftentimes do not line up with God. They line up with the enemy who's trying to destroy you. So when you believe what what you believe or feel, um, whatever you believe or feel something that's not in alignment with the Word of God, and then you act on those thoughts or you act on those feelings, you are a shipwreck, shipwreck waiting to happen because that's the devil's plan for you. Oh, I feel this way, so I'm going to go that way. God's word clearly says go this way, but I'm going to choose to go that way because I'm the one person out of the eight billion who can live it different and it's going to work out. It won't. God says do it this way. God says do it this way. And you go, but I feel like I should do it this way. God's word says do it that way, but I believe I should do it that way. Friends, you want to be shipwrecked in life? Do it that way instead of doing what God says his way. You don't have to be a genius in life to survive and to succeed and to advance. All you need is the wisdom of the eternal Godhead. You have it. It's called the Word of God. We must pick it up. The devil's plan is to dupe you and say, well, I feel this way. Oh, I believe that way. But but where did that originate from? Not from God's Word. Most of us weren't raised with somebody reading us the Word of God every minute of our lives. Or we don't live today with right now somebody reading me the Word. No, I watch TV and I have parents who, for me, weren't even believers. And for most of you... And we heard this, and I had school teachers and, and friends and everybody else. They teach us all this stuff. Well, who is inspiring all that stuff that's contrary to God's way? It's the enemy. Why? Because he wants to shipwreck your life. That's the devil's plan for you. But God says, don't worry. You can stand strong. I've given you all you need. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our defense against the enemy lying to us is simple. Learn God's Word. Read it, study it, listen to it. Guess what? I can't read it and study it for you. I can help you understand it. I can help you learn it as I'm learning it myself. But I can't do it for you. So we need, Paul says here, pick up. He's used the word take up. Take up. Pick up the Word of God. Friends, reading about what somebody ate for lunch on Facebook won't change your life. But we spend hundreds of hours doing it. They tell us, kids like what, 12 hours a day in social media and adults eight. Reading what somebody ate for lunch or where they went on vacation won't change your life one iota. But putting your screen down and picking up God's word will or changing the the app, switching to a different app that says the, the Bible and reading God's word literally will change your life. Because it's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that's been given by God himself to inspire us to change our lives from the inside out, to pierce us to the very soul, to reveal to us the things we believe that are wrong so that we can choose to do what's right and follow God's way instead of the enemy's way. When you pick up the Word of God, you will be allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe his truth into your life. And that truth will be your source of victory against the lies of the devil. That's why he gave us his word. That's why we fight to to, to keep it. It's why we proclaim it. It's why we send it overseas to places where it's illegal. It's because the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, often preached by inspired people and anointed people, will change nations as it changes individuals. So let's end today. 
by listening what the psalmist has to say about this. So, I think certain things are significant in their placement in Scripture. We're going to look at the ver- starting the very first word of the very first chapter of the very first psalm of the 150 recorded. So it's the very first thing that's included in the inspired word of God in, the, in what we call the book of Psalms. Let's look at the first three verses of Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. It can't get more foundational than that. It's kind of like going to Genesis and saying what's in the first thing, which is interesting. It's all about God's word speaking there. But Psalm 1. Verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You could say the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Listen to that. How blessed is Mark when he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But Mark delights in his law, his word, and in his law he meditates day and night. Therefore, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So do you want to live a life that is solid and steady and prosperous? Well, who doesn't? Well, then the psalmist gives us the answer. Then delight in God's word. He says, delight in it. Meditate on it. Learn it. It's not some dry old book. It's the very life of God. Amen? Amen. So when the devil attacks, what's one of the first things you do? You pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This tells us how to live. All those ideas, I think, I feel. Now, here's the cool thing. When we walk with Jesus long enough, this here is the goal of my life. If you want to say, what is the primary goal of your life, Pastor Mark? This is the, the foundational thing. It's more important to me than my life with my wife. It's more important to me than my life with my children. It's more important to me than anything else. I want to be transformed so much by the presence of God that on the inside, I feel like Jesus felt instead of having the fake like Jesus acted. Say, so what do you mean? People say this all the time. You know, you walk up to somebody in church, maybe you really don't like them. They say, How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. God bless you. Shake their hand, and you walk away, and you go, oh, I just soon slap that guy, just talk to him. You know, you say, Oh, I don't feel that way. Yes, you do. Put it in a different context. Something, some, there's ways that, that you're like that. Maybe you don't want to slap them, but something, you're like, Yeah, I really don't like them, anyways. But, Oh, bless God, bless you. I love you. You're my best friend. That's faking like Jesus on the outside, because Jesus loves. I'm faking to love. My goal of my life is that I'm like Jesus on the inside so that when they nail me to a cross, I don't have to make it up. Jesus was not faking on the cross. 
Jesus hung there. He literally looked at the people who were executing him. They were nailing nails in his hands, nailing nails in his feet. And he, what does he say? He doesn't say, he doesn't fake it. Oh God, I love them inside. He's going, I hate them. No, he's like this. And he says, God, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Friends, that's how Jesus honestly feels on the inside towards you and me. He loves us. He cares for us. He's passionate for us. My ultimate goal in my life is I want that on the inside of my life because then the whole book of the, the whole Sermon on the Mount saying if that's on the inside, then what will bubble out on the outside is all the good stuff. We try to work on doing the outside stuff. Well, if I just stop swearing and stop drinking in excess and stop doing this, stop, you know, whatever. Um, no. Yeah, there's a point where you've got to stop some things that are just, just wrong. But it's about transformation on the inside. And it tells us exactly how that transformation happens. What cuts to the very core of our being on the inside? The Word of God. The inspired Word of God. And so I pick it up. I use it. Sleeping on this won't help. But reading it will. And praying over it. And saying, God, teach me your ways. This will change your life from the inside out so that you feel like Jesus instead of faking like Jesus. How does it happen? Because of the inspired Word of God, the warfare activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Isn't it good to know that the Holy Spirit is involved in warfare with you? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you. That you did not leave us alone. You said you would send another comforter to us. The Holy Spirit. And that one of the great ways the Holy Spirit operates in our life is, is through your word. That the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you inspired the word through man. You empower it. Through your, through your activity. And it changes our lives. And so Lord, we're so grateful for the gift of your word and the gift of the Holy Spirit that brings it to life. God, help us. To this day, in this church, we can't change anybody else, but we can change ourselves. That on this day, we would become people of the Word. That, that maybe it's partly just because of what we're finding out through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians here, that we'd see that the Word of God being elevated, that we'd recognize that maybe a lot of our problems are tied to the fact that we're listening to the wrong voice. But that you give us an option, you give us your Word to tell us truth so that our lives can be joyful and blessed. And so, Lord, I ask this for this whole church family right now, that, Lord, something deep inside of our hearts would take place right now so that we would be people who understand our need of the Word. And that we'd be people who would put other things aside so that we can open up our hearts to the Word. 